Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the Amazon Alexa. Um, for today's podcast, we're joined very kindly once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be back. So we, we typically with these podcasts, we um, look at major indices and, and look at the um, biggest drivers behind um, certain moves in indices. But but this week we're going to look um, more at a ever growing theme within markets, and that is the theme of ESG. So we've had a significant flow of news this week related to sustainability and ESG. Um, one, of the, one of the most notable um, pieces of news we've seen this week is the launch in Saudi Arabia of a truly revolutionary concept um, of their neon line city, which is going to be um, carless and, and fully sustainable. Um, and that's something that's going to be um, a benchmark for, for cities going forward. Um, but, but looking now more at, at markets, we've seen um, a raft of data coming in in regards to ESG ETF flows in 2020. Now, these are, are funds that set out to invest in companies that have ESG um, credentials that are perceived to be doing and, and making a positive impact um, on the environment, society, and, and have strong um, uh, governance within the, the companies. So um, the ESG um, ETF flows uh, went up 220% last year, and, and now they manage about 190 billions worth of, of assets. So um, we, we usually have a, a number of companies that we discuss on this uh, this podcast, and there's three UK equities that we're going to discuss, which, which can all be perceived to be having ESG credentials. But I just want to start off by looking at the the, the bigger picture. Now, now, looking at these ETFs and the most popular ones, um, we have ones managed by uh, Invesco, which, which were up some 200 percent uh, last year. Now, we obviously look down into these funds and they're dominated uh, by clean energy companies. Obviously, the, the push towards um, reducing climate change. That is the biggest theme within ESG at the moment. Um, but when, when I'm looking down into these companies, the, the majority of them, and, and they do have global mandates, so these companies can invest in, uh, in companies uh, around the world. Most of them are, are listed over in the, uh, in the United States. I mean, is it something that you, that you feel that the UK and, and companies um, listed here in, in London that there's a bit of room for improvement in terms of the um, the offering that we have here in London for companies for, for investors that are seeking companies with, with renewable aspects. Yeah, I think that is already happening, Jonathan. Uh, I mean, we, we saw Morningstar, for instance, last December uh, in, in introduce uh, um, uh, an ESG section uh, on its website. So, so the the benchmark is is well and truly recognised and. Um, and uh, you know, for, for UK investors, it's um, it's it's a and it has it holds increasing importance going forwards. And of course, the funds have um, that th- they have global exposure. But I mean, we're, we're seeing. I think ESG is very much the 
the, the byword at the moment. And we've even seen uh, China, you know, China making move this, moves in this area as well. Uh, commitment um, in December to improve green, its green finance standards to support carbon neutrality objectives and also make it, make it easier for overseas investors to enter the green finance market in China. So, um, so, so I think, uh, I think, you know, this is, it's a very global effort. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think the UK is necessarily behind the curve. Um, I think uh, probably uh, we'll see an increasing focus on it as we go forward into the first quarter of 2021. So I just want to touch on a couple of, uh, I want a selection of, of, of stocks here. And for value investors, some of the moves that we've seen in, in some of these companies, um, one in mind here, Tesla's been um, very much breaking with um, traditional valuation um, metrics. Um, I mean, we're looking at a company such as Tesla um, that, that's rallied very much on expectations of, of, of further growth trading sometimes something above 800 times earnings at this point in time um there's lots of other companies out there as well and examples such as as neo which is seen as the chinese tesla very much involved in electric cars um do do you think that there is um there's been a push into the sector which which has pushed up the these companies to valuations which are now looking pretty pretty frothy um compared to their earnings Or, or do you think that this disconnect between valuation and earnings is going to be solved by by earnings picking up over the next couple of years. I mean, which but there has to be um, a, a snapback at some point. These disconnects can last for for some time, but they they rarely last for, forever. Do, I mean, do you think that this push into um, sustainable investing is going to see um, the underlying earnings snap up to? Um, the the valuations, or do, do you think that we're, we're going to be due a reset at some point in the not too distant future? Well, I as I agree, Jonathan. You know, racy valuations for Tesla and um, many others in, in in the in the in the green and the ESG space. But um, for the moment, uh, of course, we've got a lot of the the um, the t- traditional energy companies making the transition. Um, we spoke before about BP and. Uh, Shell and the oil majors uh, transitioning into uh, renewable energy, um, and uh, you know BP's stated it will um, it will forty uh, percent of its revenues by twenty thirty will come from renewable. Uh, we've got the European utility giant NL um, ENEL. Um, it said it's going to spend one hundred sixty billion euros over the next ten years to become a green super major. It's aiming to be. And Enel is aiming to be carbon free by 2020. So um, companies are spending huge amounts of money on this, um, but of course um, we're still. I, I mean, there is still a risk, of course, that we might have a dot com boom situation, where of course the in the uh, early uh, noughties, uh, everyone will, everyone will remember, uh, companies were rated at fantastic valuations, um, and it transpired that. Uh, um, as the dot-com boom started to mature, very few of the companies uh, driving that growth were actually able to deliver on earnings. But um, uh, I think it's, I think the ESG picture is going to be somewhere between the two because when you've got the major resource companies transitioning, they have the cash and the resource to to make the change. And of course, if the standards are global, if um, 
every country is participating, if all the major energy companies are participating in this going forward, then um, then our way of life will change. So um, it may well be that um, the revenues will be delivered. But uh, that's always a risk. But uh, of course, um, uh, all the while we're speculating and we can see the sort of returns, you know, the 200% returns that were delivered on some of the ETFs last year, then um, I think investors will be will continue to arrive in droves. And you, you mentioned there, obviously, the majors such as uh, you know, Shell and in, in investing very heavily into um, clean energy. I mean, they, they've just uh, in, invested in um, Canada's first uh, waste to low carbon fuels plant that, that was announced a, f- a few days ago. Yeah. I mean, do, do, you, do you think that this is an industry which is going to play out uh, with, with these smaller companies that have um, the innovative technology that are then bought out by existing energy companies such as Shell and, and BP, for example? Or do you think some of these companies are really going to sort of push through them and become uh, the equivalents of, of sort of Shell and, and BP in, in sort of 20, 30, 40 years uh, to come? How? I mean, it's, it's obviously there's lots of factors at play here, but how, how could you see that playing out? I think it's most likely that 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 the technologies will be snapped up by the majors because these companies, the big companies, are under pressure, you know, both from uh, government a uh, government level and of course from shareholders to make that transition and retain and grow earnings in the meantime, which is, um, we, you know, which is which is a, a major challenge. So, um, of course. With the resources they have, the cash resources they have, the, the the easiest way to do it is to acquire the technology and embed it into your model going forward. But of course, the the companies that uh, the small companies that have the technology that say have the have the uh, um, you know small companies like uh, EcTech we've spoken about, for instance, and Powerhouse Energy and other companies that are developing. Um, uh, 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 technologies to 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 convert waste matter into energy um, and uh, and various other products. You know, all of these companies will know their value in this evolving marketplace. So um, it, it may it may ultimately be more economical for the uh, the the the, the, uh, the energy major to um, develop its own solution internally. Um, uh, rather than buy, rather than buy a company. So, so I, I think whatever the 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 technology uh, is there now, it will change. Um, a lot of investors are going to, you know, see some f- fabulous gains in their portfolios as a result of uh, the the um, energy majors buying out these uh, the the smaller uh, technology, uh, uh, green energy technology solutions. But equally, I think we're going to see a lot of in-house development take place as well. Fantastic. So that that's going to be a very interesting uh, sector to to be watching, and and there's a a good news flow coming out there. So that's something that we're going to be covering in detail on the UK Investor Magazine. So as as I mentioned, we have three companies um, listed here in London that we're going to discuss, um, which could be perceived to be having relatively strong ESG uh, credentials. Now that the, the first of those is um, very much involved, I'd say, in the environmental side of that. Um, and that is British Honey um, with their organic range of, of spirits. Um, what's the latest update there, Alan? Okay, so this is an Aquis uh, listed company. The uh, 
uh, the stock is currently currently trading at um, at, at 116 uh, 116 pence. Um, and really, there's not been a, it's not been a fantastic performance um, in terms of share price performance or returns for investors over the year. But the company has really it's battled through uh, the COVID year, which many companies have. Um, but I just like this company uh, for what it does. It's um, it's a leading independent honey producer. Produces seven million tons of honey uh, per annum. It has um, it has uh, it has facilities in the Cotswolds. Oxfordshire um, uh, and so on. It also has a range of spirit brands called Keepers, K-E-P-E-R-S, um, which are sold through Waitrose, Majestic, Amazon, uh, Not on the High Street, and and a range of other other websites. Um, has its own HMRC compliant bonded warehouse, and um, it's very, very, very sort of advanced on the IT front. It's got its own bespoke end-to-end IT platform that supports uh, the business and uh, has full traceability for each bottle and jar that uh, the company supplies. Um, it also supplies um, uh, uh, Dodd's Organic Gin and London Distillery Whiskies and and um, has a, a range of products that it's been developing. But um, throughout last year, it, it was undertaking a series of investments and, and, and uh, in terms of developing the business and also expanding the footprint of the company um, overseas. So in July, um, it's, uh, there was a joint venture with um, an investor called Cottesmore um, to set up and operate a distillery on the company's Tusmore Park estate in, in Oxfordshire. Um, uh, in August, there was a, a global licensing agreement announced with English Heritage um, for, uh, the, where the the company's uh, products and spirits will be sold over 400 monuments uh, uh, um, uh, uh, up and down the country. Um, and also uh, there was a an, the expansion announced into the USA with List Distillery in Florida that produces its own range of spirits. Um, and that was undertaken in the form of a share swap. Um, so as a result of uh, the share swap, uh, British Honey owns 10% of List Distillery um, and List Distillery owns four and a half percent of British Honey Company. So it's got a platform in Florida, in the USA already. Um, the, uh, the the company uh, progressed through the year um, and um, uh, was promoted onto the apex section of the Aquis Exchange, uh, which, uh, which uh, it, it means it's marked out for high growth or, or, or viewed as a high growth company by the exchange. And indeed, that was... Um, that was confirmed in a uh, in a trading update, which was published uh, on Tuesday, January the twelfth, um, yesterday. In fact, um, company um, announced that for the nine months uh, in, in two thousand and twenty up to December, revenues had increased by two hundred and seventy percent to one and a half million. And um, the IT platform Shopify, which it utilizes to dovetail into Amazon, Oracle, uh, Oracle, um, Acado, and and uh, and other outlets. Uh, have been hugely successful, and um, whereas prior to September, eighteen percent of the group revenues came from online. Uh, in the three months of December, that rose to thirty percent. So, uh, to be able to generate thirty percent of your revenues online is a great growth model, and obviously um, something that's very low cost for the company to operate. Um, talking about cost, the company has uh, two and a half million cash at the bank. Um, the joint venture with List Distillery is progressing well. Uh, English Heritage is gaining traction, and the group has said that uh, they are set for further growth um, going forward into 
2021. So um, I think this is, you know, it, it's a, it, it's a, it is a, it ticks a, a lot of ESG credentials, um, and I think you know honey uh, honey production is a great business to be in, and I'm sure we'll see them expand that business uh, throughout 2021. Um, but the shares, as I say, have remained very static. Um, and I think as the earnings start to grow, we'll start to see an uptick in the share price, but um, certainly one that uh, I think should be in everyone's portfolio. So I mean, you mentioned there a very static uh, share price. I mean, do you think this, this is something to do, and this is obviously going a little bit above just, just the company, um, do you think that's got something to do with it being listed on the Aquis exchange and, and obviously that exchange not having as much flows through, say, the, the AIM market? Or do you think investors are just wanting to get a little bit more from the company just to start seeing a bit more movement in the share price? Well, I think as often happens with these niche companies, um, uh, an Aquis listing is is a far cheaper route to market than uh, than a name listing, you know, which which uh, will cost a, a quarter of a million plus. So, um, so uh, for British Honey, I think it made sense to list on Aquis first of all, um, and. Uh, I, I would expect it probably to look at a name listing at some at some point in the future, possibly even an overseas listing as well. Um, but uh, a lot of companies that do list on, uh, on uh, or, or move up to AIM and other exchanges retain their Aquas listing too, because uh, obviously you know um, some a lot of the founders will have will be holding their shares on Aquas and will be quite happy to sort of um, continue trading on that exchange. Uh, and um, so, so yeah, I, I, it's a stepping stone for the group for sure. Yes, and, and I mean, really, for, I mean, for investors, I mean, it ticks two boxes uh, for, for some of the biggest themes that are getting a lot of investor interest in sustainability and, of course, the growth of, of e-commerce. So I think it's going to be a very bright future for uh, for British honey there. So m- moving on now, this is one that we discussed um, previously, but. Um, I think it is due uh, a recap because there is a constant news flow of very encouraging updates. Um, And of course, um, I think this company would probably uh, exceed your your standard ESG um, characteristics and and move more towards what what we call an, an impact investment in terms of the positivity that it's having on society in Open Orphan. That's been very much involved in the fight against um, COVID-19 but of course these technologies can be applied to, to lots of other um, vaccines and, and pharmaceuticals but what's the latest that's been happening there at Open Orphan Alan? Well Open Orphan's had a, a phenomenal year um, I mean if we look back to uh, back to this time last year shares were trading at 6p um, and uh, of course um, a, a series of acquisitions and uh, exponential Growth drivers later, here we are setting with the shares twenty twenty six p and a market cap of uh, one hundred and seventy two million. But um, the the company still is very much in in growth mode. Um, the key acquisition for the group was uh, the acquisition of HVivo last year, um, and of course the com- the HVivo was integrated into the company. HVivo runs uh, Europe's only twenty four bedroom quarantine clinic with uh, on site virology and um, a, a host of facilities to undertake viral challenge studies for flu, their respiratory diseases, asthma, uh, COPD, and, and so on. Um, but uh, those facilities have been used uh, very publicly. They've made all the headlines in the in the national newspapers, been featured on Sky, BBC, ITV, and so on. Um, they've been used for 
uh, COVID trials. Um, and uh, the, the the group have just progressed um, progressed uh, the COVID trials through HVivo. Um, but also within the group, the um, uh, Open Orphan was originally put together in 2019 um, as a result of a reverse takeover of Venn Life Sciences. And Venn Life Sciences um, is based in the UK and uh, and in in uh, in the Netherlands um, has uh, has Venn Life Sciences is very much a contract research organisation. So um, it undertakes research um, for the larger pharmaceutical companies that simply outsource it. And there has been a constant flow of news in that regard. Um, we've uh, the, the company has been awarded contract renewals. Most recently, contract renewal with a top tier top three pharmaceutical company um, in uh, announced in January. And then, of course, on January the 11th, um, uh, the the joint venture that Open Orphan is undertaking with uh, uh, with uh, Codagenix uh, um, announced that uh, the first volunteer had been dosed uh, with the Codagenix Covivac um, uh, uh, um, uh, a vaccination or, or, or immunity uh, serum for, um, for, uh, for COVID. So um, it's just been... A series of developments um, and and a push forward for the group. Um, the, the, just to actually look at the the people running the company, Carl Friel, of course, is the executive chairman and has been the driver, very much the public face of the company um, as it's as it's developed and uh, taking these steps uh, through the year. Um, uh, he's also overseen uh, the acquisitions and the integration of the acquisitions. Um, other acquisitions during the year include the uh, ch- the Challenge Child Group, uh, Chim Agent, and um, also uh, uh, an investment they have in uh, Prep Toxicology, um, uh, I- involved in in uh, in in viral viral uh, studies also. So um, the it's just been a steady progression of news through the year. The company, as I say, now has a market cap of a uh, 172 million, but. Um, I I do believe the uh, one of the joint ventures the company has with the US uh, a Nasdaq based company called Quotient. Um, uh, uh, this was a, a a joint venture to, to develop a, a COVID clear test. Um, uh, Quotient is uh, trading with a Nasdaq valuation of around six hundred million dollars, um, and the turnover for the year is um, probably very similar to uh, 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 Open Orphan, but um, Quotient was a loss-making company. Um, Open Orphan, on the other hand, uh, has consistently said that it will hit profitability in quarter four. So while we're waiting now for the full year results, I think if it uh, does uh, hit the profitability as it's promised and flagged up very, um, you know, very, very, very clearly for all, over the past year, then I think it's going to be that's going to be. Uh, the benchmark uh, uh, for a for a re-rating for the group. You know, bearing in mind that um, uh, open orphan market capitaliz- capitalization is still um, about half that of quotient. Um, so going forward, it's going to be more the same. Um, we're going to see ex- expansion and development for the group um, uh, throughout uh, uh, 2021. Um, and uh, certainly, I mean, if we look at December, for instance, there were, I think, Ven Life... Um, um, secured uh, as well as the one announced in January, secured several other new contracts uh, with new pharmaceutical companies and existing clients. Um, so 
the 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 rate at which uh, the the, uh, the the contracts are coming to the company, um, also the diversity of the group in terms of its revenue streams. It's uh, it, I think mark this out as a a very resilient uh, pharmaceutical group and contract research organisation going forward. Um, it's certainly it's certainly got a broad based uh, revenue stream and I think offers uh, a great deal of um, uh, 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 security for investors in that regard. So, yeah, um, more of the same going forward. Um, if you Google or just look at uh, um, the Novus Communications website, you'll see the uh, you'll see uh, Open Orphan news flow and a series of interviews with Carl Friel, the executive chairman. Indeed, so a very interesting company, and and good to have a, a British company there that is very much a technical. Technological advances um, around vaccine, which can be applied uh, globally. So that, I think that's got a very interesting future as well. So we're, we're going to finish off. Uh, just to sorry. say, actually, uh, just to say that as well, uh, Carl Friel um, is uh, is a big investor himself in the company. He's invested a lot of his own money. He holds uh, about seven percent of the stock in the company, um, and uh, you know he's personally invested uh, an awful lot. Uh, of cash, um, the that that can be seen. You know, if if uh, people go back and look through the announcements for the group, um, he's um, he's uh, he's been pivotal in 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 raising money for the group and also investing himself. Yeah, that, that that's also a very good point to to make there, Alan. You know, that these uh, directors and CEOs that have a, a large stake, um, you know, does show their commitment to the to the business uh, there. And uh, with a seven percent seven percent stake there, that's Quite a substantial holding there. Um, so as I was saying, m- moving on to the final stock that we're going to discuss today, um, Itaconics um, is a company involved in sustainable polymers. It has a broad range of applications. Um, what's the, the latest update from them, Alan? Well, it's interesting. Uh, um, if if, uh, if if you if, if you take a look at the uh, the uh, share price performance of Itaconics over the past year, um, the stock suddenly exploded into life literally just before Christmas, um, and uh, yeah, with good reason. I think um, just just to go back on the on the group. Um, uh, Itaconics produce sustainable bio uh, based environmentally friendly products, uh, primarily. Uh, polymers uh, derived from itaconic acid, which are used across a range of applications. That's uh, detergents, uh, water softening, laundry, uh, and of course agriculture, industry, and, and so on. Um, it has it's developed uh, through uh, and, and raised its profile through a series of um, of joint ventures and, uh, and and collaborations. Collaborated with Croda, for instance, to develop. Um, to, to to develop a project that uh, that captures smells um, uh, to uh, and and uh, um, it, it also has uh, applications in decorative paints um, and also uh, has a very uh, has a very sort of strong relationship with uh, with a company called um, uh, a New Wave uh, based in the based in in northern USA. Um, so the the company has. Um, uh, I wouldn't say there've been a series of false starts, but I think, um, as often happens with uh, small companies that evolve, um, the the timeline for developments uh, often gets stretched out, and I think that 
explains the relative flatlining of the share price because, of course, uh, investors wanted to see that um, the developments that were taking place, the joint ventures and so on, were actually um, uh, were actually coming to fruition and uh, delivering results. And certainly with Idaconics, um in uh, October last year, it, um, it announced at the end of October half-year results. Revenues had grown 80% to just over a million dollars. Um, gross profit had grown 130%. Um, that's uh, up from uh, 30, and, and margins had improved to 37% from 35% previously. Um, and um, uh, cash, of course, uh, uh, with the group stood at uh, just on a half a million. But um, the, uh, the, the company had also received with its North American operation um, a US government paycheck protection loan of uh, $200,000 for COVID um, and then went on to raise, of course, uh, $2 million in July to help support uh, their developments. Um, the, the CEO of the group, John Shaw, um, said that the company was, was uh, crossed the line, was developing, a, 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 had reached a new phase in commercial growth in 2020 very strong momentum and he saw that momentum carrying over into uh, into into 2021 um in november the group appointed uh, a lady called mona manning uh, formerly worked for peter creamer um and abitech um she was appointed vice president of marketing and sales um to drive the business forward and really the share price exploded into action after her appointment so one one suspects that uh, there's an awful lot going on behind the scenes, uh, which will probably hit the news wires at some point uh, during quarter one. But nonetheless, uh, I think um, I think the 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 share price is starting to catch up with events now. Um, should be a very exciting year for this group. And of course, once again, they tick all the boxes uh, uh, when it comes to um, a, a, an ESG profile. I mean, just looking at Iconics here, where, where do you think that the primary source of growth is going to come going forward? Is it going to be the, the introduction of existing products in, into new markets and increasing market share there? Or, or do you think it's going to be sort of new products that are going to be bringing into the market going forward? Well, they, they, uh, as I mentioned, they have collaborations with Crowder, also a company called Neurion, um, and uh, and uh, and New Wave uh, in the US. Um, uh, the the the, the, um, the company said earlier in the year, in two thousand twenty that uh, it uh, it had received uh, first first orders from New Wave in the US ahead of plan. So um, so I think uh, I think we're seeing it's a combination. I, th- I think um, I think the 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 product sales are taking place. The collaborations clearly are working very well. Um, and that's starting to impact on the bottom line. So, of course, all the time, Idaconics has this unique technology. Um, it's it's possible that one of the larger uh, chemical groups could could be looking at Idaconics and thinking, you know, assessing whether the group makes a good fit for for uh, for its own operations or, or not. But um, I would suspect that uh, I would suspect that that's probably a factor that's. Uh, Going to be influencing the share price going forward because the bigger this company grows, the better the collaborations are. If if the collaborations are working well, then the next step might well be that um, uh, the company decides to, or the 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 larger group decides to make an acquisition or uh, maybe acquires part of the group. Either way, it's going to it's going to mean more revenue and uh, uh, better returns for shareholders. 
Indeed, and um, I, th- I think that that one, as the, the previous two uh, uh, companies were as well, going to be very interesting companies to be keeping a, a close eye on in 2020. Um, and just looking at the chart here of Itaconics, um, a very interesting pop, as, as you mentioned there in the share price. So um, I, I think there's probably something going on there um, be, behind the scenes, um, which sets up for, for a good period of, of growth going forward, looking at the recent uh, announcements. So just as a, as a recap, um, we just discussed Itaconics, which trades under the ticker of ITX, um, Open Orphan, which trades under the ticker of ORPH, and British Honey uh, with a ticker of BHC. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Thanks, Jonathan. So um, just uh, as a note, we have the next instalment of our UK Investor Magazine virtual conference, which is coming up in the end of February. So do check out the website for adverts and, uh, and get yourself signed up. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.